Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 65 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for joining me once again to turn some phrases. I hope you'll go ape over today's topic, which is monkey-themed. I'm not going to sit here just monkeying around, so let's swing into today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up for today is the idiom, well, I'll be a monkey's uncle, which is used to express surprise or disbelief. Charles Darwin wrote On the Origin of Species in 1859 and Descent of Man in 1871. In both of these books, he discussed his theory of evolution. People who didn't agree with his idea of humans evolving from apes began to use this expression sarcastically. The Oxford English Dictionary lists the earliest use of this phrase as one from an Ohio newspaper in an article from February 8th of 1925. It said, quote, If that's a joke, I'm a monkey's uncle. End quote. However, this may be another instance where the OED got it wrong, because I found another print usage from 1847 a whole 78 years earlier. It was in the Morning Post, a daily newspaper published in London. The January 26th edition included a review of a comedic play called The Wigwam. It read, quote, Mr. Frank Matthews was all that a runaway governor could hope to be in savage life, with a plurality of wives, while Mr. Oxbury was a veritable monkey's uncle in his rage and jealousy. End quote. Now, this doesn't really sound like it was being used the way we use it today. So, while Darwin's theory may not have spawned the saying, it likely made it more widely used. And, to be clear, I don't think the Oxford English Dictionary truly got it wrong, I just think their 1925 reference is the first known modern-day use. But, since I don't know anyone who works on the OED and can't ask them, I'll just have to speculate on that one. Let's move on from monkeys to gorillas. An 800-pound gorilla is a metaphor for an individual or organization that's powerful and can use their strength to win out over competitors. Before we get into the meat of the metaphor, let's look at the weight here. Can a gorilla even get to be 800 pounds? The average for males is about 400 pounds, and the maximum is typically only around 500. So, an 800-pound gorilla would be double the average weight. That's big. Have gorillas ever been that big? I don't know, I'm not a primatologist. But, in general, they're nowhere near that big. So, why do we feature 800-pound gorillas in this popular saying? Well, even if gorillas don't really get that big, if they did, they'd be even more of a force to be reckoned with than normal, strength-wise. Theodore Waldeck was an author born in New York and raised in Austria, who went on many safaris in Africa and wrote many books about the subject. 
One of these was Treks Across the Veldt, written in 1944, and it included this quote, For there was almost no exaggerating the strength of a seven- or eight-hundred-pound gorilla, who could lift a man in one hand and pluck off his legs and arms as if they had been parts of a fly. End quote. This wasn't the only written reference to a gorilla being 800 pounds that I found, but it was the earliest. The fact of the matter is, no one seems to know why we say 800 instead of some other number, though some speculate that it's because that's just about twice the average size of gorillas. What seems to have helped make this more popular is a joke that shows up sometime in the 1970s. It goes like this. Where does an 800-pound gorilla sleep? Anywhere he wants to. <laughs> I like that joke. This bit of humor helped to secure this metaphor into the vernacular. That's all I have for this one, so now, let's have some fun. If someone says something is more fun than a barrel of monkeys, then they mean they aren't really having fun. It's a sarcastic way to let others know you're not enjoying yourself, or that an activity doesn't sound appealing. Although some people do use it in a more positive light, implying that something does actually sound quite fun. However you want to use it, the idea behind it comes from the observed playfulness of primates. That makes sense, but why the heck are the monkeys in a barrel? Well, actually, when this saying first showed up, the monkeys weren't in a barrel at all. In the original Old Timey Times version of the saying, folks said things were more fun than a cage of monkeys. While no one seems to know where this saying came from exactly, this version does appear in the vernacular around 1840. About 50 years later, it was being said as a wagon load of monkeys, which changed to the modern-day barrel by 1895. There's not really any other information out there about this one, but, in case you're wondering, yes, this idiom was the inspiration behind the game Barrel of Monkeys. The game was developed in 1966 by Lakeside Industries, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, then later was made by Hasbro. It's been entertaining people for a few minutes at a time ever since. Let's move on from monkeys in a barrel to a monkey's paw. You've most likely heard the expression, be careful what you wish for. But have you ever heard of the monkey's paw? I hadn't prior to researching for this episode, but it means basically the same thing. If someone wishes for something, and you can tell that there would be a bad, albeit unintended, consequence, you might warn them that they're messing with the monkey's paw. This one's easy to track down, because its origin is also the first time it was used in writing. It comes from a story titled The Monkey's Paw, which was written by William Weimark Jacobs, an English author. He wrote mostly humorous short stories and novels, but is most well-known for this horror story. The Monkey's Paw was published in 1902, and tells a tale of wishes bringing terrible, unintended consequences to the wisher. Here's a Brisky's Notes version of the story. Mr. and Mrs. White obtain a mummified monkey's paw from a friend. First of all, ew, but <laughs> anyway. 
The friend tells them that the paw had a spell placed on it which allows it to grant three wishes to whomever owns it. The wishes always come true, but never in a good way. The unforeseeable and unforgettable consequences served as a punishment to the wisher for tempting fate. Mr. White's first wish is to receive 200 pounds, the exact amount he needs to pay off the mortgage on his home. The next morning, their son heads to work at the factory, and later that day they receive the horrific news that he has died in a machinery accident. The factory denies responsibility, but as a show of goodwill, they give the grieving parents 200 pounds. Ten days later, which is a week after they buried their son, the grief-stricken Mrs. White begs Mr. White to wish on the monkey's paw for their son to come back to life. He resists her request at first, but finally gives in. Soon after he makes the wish, they begin to hear knocking at the door. Mrs. White desperately tries to get the door open, struggling to do so due to her emotions. While his wife is trying to open the door, Mr. White realizes that because of the time that has passed since his son died, whatever's on the other side of that door isn't going to be the son that they'd lost. He quickly makes his third wish, and the knocking suddenly stops. Mrs. White finally manages to fling open the door, but no one is there. We aren't told what the third wish is exactly. It's left up to the reader to decide what Mr. White wished for. However, it is suggested that whatever he wished for meant that they would truly never see their son again. The moral of this story, be careful what you wish for, is quite clear. And now that that not-so-happy story is over, let's meet the Three Wise Monkeys. Toppers, have you ever heard of the Three Wise Monkeys? I hadn't, at least not until I saw the other name that they go by. The Three Wise Monkeys are also known as the Hear No Evil, See No Evil, Speak No Evil Monkeys. This evil-avoiding proverb has been around since at least old-timey times China, specifically sometime between the 4th and 2nd centuries BC. In the late Analects of Confucius, we find this wordier version of the proverb, quote, Look not at what is contrary to propriety. Listen not to what is contrary to propriety. Speak not what is contrary to propriety. Make no movement which is contrary to propriety. End quote. Now, the monkeys have names, which... I also didn't know. Mizaru is the one who covers his eyes, Kikazaru is the one covering his ears, and Iwazaru is the one covering his mouth. The names come from the Japanese version of the proverb, which is dated back to around the 8th century, A.D. It was simply, see not, hear not, speak not, which roughly translates to Mizaru, Kikazaru, and Iwazaru. Now, the three wise monkeys are far more popular in Japan than China, so much so that some people doubt it even started in China. But thanks to the writings of Confucius, who we know was a Chinese philosopher, we know that at least the idea comes from him and ancient China, even if the exact phrase we use today is more like the Japanese version. The three wise monkeys, also sometimes called the three mystic apes, are meant to be a reminder of how to live your life. 
They remind us to avoid things that are evil, but this saying can be used another way. If you know someone who turns a blind eye to evil things instead of standing up against them, you can refer to them negatively this way, basically saying they pretend not to see or hear about it and refrain from speaking about it. So either way, it still refers to avoiding evil, but one way of doing it makes you a better person, and the other, not so much. There are many legends and myths associated with these three primates, all having to do with avoiding evil in some way. So the main theme holds true throughout history and across many cultures. I think it's safe to say that these little guys are more than just knickknacks for your mantle, and that they'll still be around to remind us to be good for a long time. So now, let's hear today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from William Henry Hudson. Quote, The puma is, with the exception of some monkeys, the most playful animal in existence. End quote. Hm, I didn't know pumas were that playful. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Hudson, for giving us today's familiar quotation. Alright, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over a hundred years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't worry about little faults in your husband, which merely amused you and your lover. If they were not important then, they are not important now. Besides, what about yours? And now for the men. Don't fidget. Some husbands are never still for a moment. They walk in and out of rooms like the wandering Jew. They play with the salt at dinner. They draw lines on the tablecloth with a fork. They tap the table with their fingers and the floor with their feet. They creak their slippers and drop the cold tongs onto the tiled hearth. In fact, they keep their wives in a state of tension, and the poor creatures would need nerves of iron to enable them to stand the strain. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 65. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. 
Thanks for monkeying around with me. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. In an article from February 8th. Uh-oh. What year? That's the sound of me typing because I forgot to put... Oh, it's... There it is. Why did I leave it out of my notes? Okay. So, while Darwin... Da, who the heck's Darwin? Y'all over there read Darwin's theory? <laughs> I don't... I don't know why I did that. Let's move on. For there was almost no exaggerating the strength of a seven or eight. For there was no under... I'm just making it up here now. For there was almost no exact... No, that was right. Why did I stop? This... Implying something does sound... Located in many... Whoopsie-daisy. In the Analex, nope, which roughly translates to Mizuru Kikiru, and the poor creatures would need nerves of iron. Iron? I did it again. <laughs>